he peed on my leg before this event started. And so, you know, I'm here like, okay, God, really, what is going on right now? Like, I was really praying hard about this. I really wanted to make sure everything was working right. And here a dog peed on my leg. You, This is not something you could have prepared for. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. In this episode, we hear from Joseph Hamity, a campaign manager with the Steyer Group. The Steyer Group helps nonprofits succeed in capital campaigns. Since 1997, they have served more than 1,300 nonprofit organizations and have conducted successful capital campaigns ranging from $400,000 to more than $100 million, raising 115% of their fundraising goals. When I met Joseph several years ago, he was the executive director of a local nonprofit in DFW and was always impressed by his success, faith, and kindness. Joseph grew up in Miami with parents of Middle Eastern Jamaican descent. One of his master's degrees is in criminology. I hope this conversation doesn't bore you. After all, how many times have we all heard the story of the kid who grew up in Miami of Middle Eastern Jamaican descent who then went on to get a master's degree in criminology, work for several nonprofits, and then become a consultant helping churches succeed in capital campaigns? I'm only joking, of course. Joseph has some incredible stories to share that you will gain value from if you raise money for a nonprofit. Thank you for listening to this episode of One Visit Away, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to One Visit Away, Joseph. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure being here, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So you are the first full-time consultant that we've had on the show. And if you could just give uh, just give a brief background, like, one to two minutes of how you kind of got to this point in your career? Oh, man. Um, Well, uh, I was born and raised. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, like any other good uh, criminologist, yes, I said that right. Uh, My first master's is in criminology. Um, I I worked for the state of Florida for about uh, four years doing investigations uh, for child abuse and child neglect. and I wanted more, uh, you know, out of it, uh, out of, you know, what I was doing, wanting to get more into my, uh, my faith and do more work in my faith. And I actually was studying at the time, uh, for a second master's in nonprofit administration. And, uh, at that point I transitioned over to fundraising. I, I was working for an international relief and development organization, uh, doing, um, doing fundraising for them and actually traveling around the country, um, doing different fundraising events. And, you know, I'll probably touch on that a little bit later, but it was very rewarding to, to be able to um, connect donors with, you know, mission. And that is, is really what it's kind of about, you know, fundraising altogether. And so uh, from there, uh, I transitioned to uh, being an executive director of a nonprofit uh, here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, And at the same time, you know, I kind of, saw at my own, you know, parish, you know, we, we tried to do a capital campaign, 
uh, at our parish because we're bursting at the seams. We have no room in our church for the amount of parishioners that we have. And so we, uh, we have to build a whole new church. And so we tried to do a capital campaign by ourselves. Um, when I say that, I mean the parish as a whole, uh, and we tanked, we didn't do well at all. Uh, pastor brought on the Steyer group and well, let's put it this way. Uh, the parking lots built and we're, we're breaking ground. They're, they're laying the foundation on, on our church right now. So I saw the fruit of the labor that the Steyer group provided and I wanted to take part of it. And I've been with the Steyer group over two years now. And, um, to be on the other end as a campaign manager has been very, uh, fulfilling to be part of different churches, helping with, uh, renovation campaigns, new construction campaigns, new church construction campaigns, debt reduction campaigns. Um, it's been very rewarding to be part of that. How much money has the Steyer Group, you probably know this number, like how much money has the Steyer Group assisted in some way with, with raising? I think right now uh, it's over $2 billion over the, over the course of 20 plus years that we've, uh, we've been doing this. And, and actually we're, we're international now. So we, um, we have the, uh, we're doing a, a campaign for the diocese of Hamilton in Canada. So we're, uh, we're not only a national development firm, but we're, I guess it could be considered international now too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love, so one, one of my focuses in fundraising is that this is a skill that can be learned it's not a personality trait or an appearance or some specific background. It's something that can be taught. It's something that can be learned. And clearly, you know, the Steyer Group illustrates that. It's exactly what you said. Your church tried a capital campaign, failed, brought on you guys, and had success. And y'all have been able to – and the Steyer Group has duplicated that with billions of dollars in success. And so – you could tell me just kind of an answer, but are there any stories you can think of uh, that illustrate maybe why uh, I'm thinking maybe some, some church similar to yours was like, Hey, why do we need to hire a consultant? We can just do this on our own. And, and how have you seen that work out versus hiring either the star group or some other similar organization that has a vast experience in this field? Well, um, you know, I can only speak to the Steyer Group and, and, you know, our work. Uh, and, you know, just like I mentioned our, at our parish, you know, we tried to do it on our own. We tried to do it with the staff that, that was in place and we couldn't. We, we just we didn't do well. And one of the things with hiring, you know, consulting firm is you're hiring folks who have experience. You're hiring, hiring folks you know, you're not hiring one specific campaign manager. You know, when when uh, parishes, they hire the Styro group, they're not just getting me, they're getting a whole team. You know, so um, at the Styro group, we have um, attorneys who are, who are specialized in estate planning, wills, trusts. So we're also able to kind of, we're, we're able to build a plan giving, you know, structure to our campaigns as well, because we have that experience. We have journalists, marketers, you know, we have folks who are doing, uh, we have graphic designers who, you know, are doing the graphic design work for our pieces. 
Oh, and they're award-winning graphic design pieces as well. And so um, not only that, but we also have grant writers, dedicated grant writers to various campaigns. So we're, we're doing not only the campaign aspect of things, but we're doing the full broad, you know, the full, you know, aspect of things like all across the board. So it's, uh, you're not limited, you know, as to what the staff can do at uh, one individual parish or one nonprofit, you know, for a lot of parishes, uh, they may not have a development director. They may not have a stewardship uh, director. And so here you have maybe the business manager and a pastor trying to do it. And what's the role of the business manager? What's the role of a pastor? Well, pastors to administer sacraments, business managers to make sure day-to-day operations is, is functioning. Now to add another piece to that, it makes things a little bit more complicated, obviously. And uh, it really does uh, overwork uh, the pastor. So when you're, when you're hiring on a firm, which is, you know, in my opinion, very important, you know, and, and the juice is worth the squeeze in a sense of, yes, there is a cost to it, but the benefit outweighs the cost that, that, that occurs. So we'll probably get to more stuff about that later, but one of the, the main thing we focus on at one visit away is just hearing stories of, of kind of in the field, you know, doing major gift work. And so my first question I I would ask, I guess, is what's one of your favorite stories of your career in fundraising? And so, um, and I, I think I've I've spoken with you about this before. Uh, it was one of my first campaigns, um, actually with, uh, with the Steyer group. Uh, and, it was, we had a donor cultivation event and we had about uh, 10 to 15 families that we had at this one event at a, at a family's house, a family member's house is one of our, our chairs. And in the room, we probably had, I think it was about one to 1.25 million in ask amounts within those you know 10 families. And so, uh, you know, I had all the plans laid out, you know, and a lot of times, and you know this too, you wear multiple hats as a, uh, as a director of development, as, as a, you know, major gift folks, or, you know, as a fundraiser in general, you know, so you might have to make sure, Hey, like, are the appetizers ready? Are the drinks ready? Are all these things? And, you know, okay. In this case, it was a refurbishment of a sanctuary and a, and a construction, um, of a new building. And so, you know, we had, a projector set up we had we wanted to make sure everything was working properly and i was just like you know, i was nervous as anything okay we're in the silent phase we're we're trying to get this you know we're trying to kind of soften things a little bit you know, provide information to donors before we sit down and make those face-to-face visits and so this this family had a new dog and before the event started i'm already nervous as anything this dog comes out. I mean, it's, it's still a puppy. And you know, when I say that it was 30 pounds, well, the dog was a little excited to see me and he peed on my leg before this event started. And so, you know, I'm here like, okay, God, really, what is going on right now? Like I was really praying hard about this. I really wanted to make sure everything was working right. 
and here a dog peed on my leg. You, this is not something you could have prepared for. You could not have like, you know, if somebody would have said, "Hey, just like keep an extra pair of pants in your your you know your car," great. But no, this seriously happened. And so, uh, I mean, you can't make these things up. And so, I'm I'm looking at the uh, at the uh, volunteer. I'm like, uh, what's going on? Like, uh, do you have any Clorox wipes? And of course, this is like a couple years ago, so this is pre-COVID, so we didn't have to worry about okay, you know, like I don't. This is like liquid gold over here, you know. Uh, so, you know, they gave me some Clorox wipes. I wiped it off. It didn't look too, you know, it didn't look bad. And it was just like at that point, it was just kind of like, okay, God, whatever, you know, the worst thing that can possibly happen right now just happened. So it's in your hands. And, and we had a great event and um, we moved on, you know, uh, these cultivation events are really great for providing information, you know, to, to folks and to, to really um, allow folks to ask questions about projects. And, you know, it's really important for, you know, for us as fundraisers, you know, to connect the individual, connect, you know, donors with the mission and what is going on, what not only the mission, but the vision of, um, the the organization and the projects that we're we're aiming for and what those projects are going to do for the organization because it's not the end all be all right i mean it's it's a catalyst into the future right so um we ended up uh we ended up uh, exceeding our goal for that uh for that campaign and uh they're definitely underway right now to they've already finished their first phase and they're moving on to their their next phase now. So it was very much a, uh, it, it was very, a, it was very much a humbling experience. Yeah. I love that story. There's, I, I think one of the things I love about major gift fundraising is there's because no one day is like another events like this happen that, you know, don't typically happen in the life of an accountant or uh which nothing against accountants there's just uh there's there's something to be said for the variety of uh activities we get to participate in so i mean but there's also very there's very much there's humbling experiences you know when you when you meet with major gift donors you know and um i'm sure you've had those too where you know you have folks on two ends of the spectrum where you know i've i've had a donor who you know he um, yeah, I would meet with him and, uh, he would give, you know, six figure gift over the course of three years, give, you know, X amount per year and a significant, you know, it would be considered our, our lead gift for the, for the year and for, for setting up our, our annual campaigns or, you know, uh, for, um, for the organization. And so for this one individual, you know, I'm thinking about is, very much a very humble man, you know, um, he didn't want his name on anything and it wasn't because it was a self humility. It was just that you know, he didn't feel like he, he needed his name out there. But the one thing he did send, say to me one time was, you know, if you feel like it would bring more people to make donations, then yes, you can use my name, but otherwise I don't need the, 
you know, pomp and circumstance of having my name out there, which is very, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's very humbling to see that for someone who's drop, dropping a significant amount of money to say, Hey, I don't need that. And then of course, you know, you, I'm sure you deal with it too, or you have folks on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, yeah, I want my name in big, big letters. I want my name on the building. And it's like, okay, this is interesting, you know? And, um, even what we do for the for the Steyer Group and for our campaigns, one of the things we stress is we really stress for folks to give gifts, make commitments that are meaningful and sacrificial. And so what's meaningful and sacrificial to me is not the same as the next person. It could be two different things. And so it's, uh, it's important for folks uh, to discern what that is gift is whether it's um whether it's a large amount uh or a small amount but the point is is it's large for them for whoever that is you know it's sacrificial to the to, to that person so you mentioned the thing about this guy's humility and wanting to you know not have his name put out there and unless it was helpful to the organization. And, and I think the, the main thing to keep in mind there is respecting the benefactor's wishes. And, and that, that's key both uh, you know, after they make a gift, but also in knowing them well enough to make an ask that is meaningful to them. So there's, I, I, um, I heard a story of someone who, this is someone of, great wealth and they were asked for a gift for it was it was a capital campaign and they told the the benefactor hey if you give this gift of and it was of a it was a very large amount we're gonna put your name on x and he was so offended that they knew him so little that they thought that would matter to him because he was, he was all the way on the other spectrum. Like I never want my name on anything. And he, he was so offended that, uh, they asked for such an enormous gift with such little knowledge of what he cared about, that he didn't give it. Um, and, and that's, I think it's, it's, I, I tell people frequently that, people will never get offended by you asking for too much, but that's with the caveat of we're asking for something that they care about. Um, and so, so I think that's an important distinction, but I, I love the, I love that you brought that up with the, the gentleman. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, when we do try to set, uh, ask amounts for individuals, you know, we, we look at a couple of uh, different factors, right? We look at, um, donor history, you know, what's their, what's their, uh, what have they given to the organization in the past? We look at, uh, the possible capacity to give. So we, you know, we, you do run, you know, well screens on, on folks. And it, that's obviously, you know, it, it has somewhat of its flaws as well in the whole thing. But we also do a, a consultation with the, uh, with the leader of the organization, you know, in the case of a pastor or someone, who can say, okay, hey, like we can, you know, can we ask more of this person? Can we not? And then we also factor in, obviously, if 
they do a planning study because planning studies are extremely important. I mean, that's, that's what we tend, you know, we uh, strongly suggest for every organization looking to do a capital campaign, do a planning study first or feasibility study. You know, you want to get the pulse of, of the parish. You want to get a pulse of the organization moving forward. You know, do they want these projects? Do they not want these projects? What are people disclosing that they can give? What, what not, you know, so we're able to set realistic goals. And so we look at what folks may disclose in there as well. Do we get those numbers right? Yes, sometimes. And no, sometimes in both directions. You know, I had a campaign where we didn't have a giving history for a family. And so we asked the bare minimum for the campaign, which was like 50 bucks a month, you know, for three years. It turns out, you know, so it's a total of 1800 Well, it turns out they, they sent in a check for $48,000. And it's like, okay, like we couldn't, we couldn't factor that in, you know, because we didn't have the giving history, you know, for, for that individual. And, and that's, what's tough, you know, and, you know, and uh, I mentioned before, you know, criminology is, you know, we call it the dark figure of crime, the unreported crime that's out there. I, I joke around, I call it the dark figure of donations, the, you know, the, the cash in the basket that you can't really try, you know, uh, factor in, you know, but it, it's important to to really know your people, you know, so that you don't we don't want to offend anybody. It's all about building relationships too. You know, we want those face-to-face visits so that we can continue to build relationships with people beyond campaign, beyond, you know, uh, any, you know, fundraising. We want to build relationships because that's what it's a, it's about because um, you know, Henry Nowen talks about it a lot too. It's campaigns and fundraising it's not just about bringing the money it's about building the community up and how can these uh events how can these projects how can this campaign build the community and unite the community for something more um and so a lot of people too you know they come to they the frequent question is well you know for parishes is well don't you see you know donate a weekly offertory go down in the middle of a campaign and the answer is actually the opposite. Uh, studies from our, our campaigns show that weekly offertory and the offertory of, of, uh, of, our, of the parishes we work with actually go up because people, you know, if you think about it, people are becoming more invested in the parish. They're giving to the parish on a, on a more frequent basis. And so we actually see the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, so it is a little counterintuitive, but it, it's, it's good to see that, you know? Yeah, I, I can totally see that. I mean, one of the, the thing I love about the story of the, the asking for the 50 bucks a month and receiving the 48,000 is it illustrates the point that just asking is a huge part of, of the battle. Um, si- simply asking somebody for a gift opens up so many opportunities because when you, when you present a capital campaign, it may be the first time that someone in the parish goes, Oh, this, this is a need that the church has that I fully support. This church has played a huge role in my faith and my family's faith. And I want to see this, uh, you know, have this, this huge impact. So they send in some, $48,000 gift. And now 
now they feel even more a part of the community. And so that I think to me makes sense as to why they would week after week just say, Hey, I, I feel like I'm more part of the family. Like I can make mm-hmm. a difference here and start giving on a weekly basis and increasing. So that, that totally makes sense to me. Well, yeah, absolutely. And you know, along those lines too, it's, it's also uh, for, for, you know, the organizations we work with to show where the, where that money is going, you know, is to be able to illustrate that. And I think that that also gives more mission buy-in, you know, so when you're able to show, for example, hey, like the parking lot's being built. Here's like an uh, aerial shot of you know the the, the foundation being laid. Um, you know, I, I got actually a quick story, and this is this is uh, this was a really powerful story. It really really uh, meant so much to me. Is you know, I was working for when I was uh, mentioned the International Relief and Development Organization. Uh, working for uh, Food for the Poor at the time, uh, great organization. And so I was traveling around to uh, different um, different areas and, and speaking about about the organization. Um, and here I was at uh, Naval Air Station Pensacola. I'll never forget Naval Air Station Pensacola, uh, Florida. And I was talking about food for the poor to um, a bunch of uh, Navy uh, Navy men and women. And uh, at one point, this you know lady comes up to me. She's a young seaman and, and she came, came up to me and she said, wait, she took a step back. She saw the sign food for the poor. And she said, wait, you guys helped me when I was a young girl in Guyana. And, and here she is, you know, now in the U S Navy, but you know, and she, and she ended up, you know, uh, supporting the organization, but we just never know how much, our mission is going to impact others and who we're going to impact and when we're going to impact them and how much of a life altering change that's going to happen. Yeah. Have, whether it's, you know, feeding the poor, whether it's saving babies, obviously, you know, or, you know, building a church where people can come and have a meaningful experience and conversion of heart you know, and saving souls, obviously, you know, uh, in churches. So, you know, you just never know what, how, how far your mission is going to reach and uh, who's going to be impacted by that mission. I love that story. One of the things that makes me think of is how important it is to make the impact of the gift real for the benefactor. And so having that woman somehow tell her story, get that message across to major benefactors for for food for the poor, making that come alive for them is so exciting because just to be able to envision my, my gift took someone who needed our help maybe 18, 20 years ago. And now look where they are. That's, that's incredible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, when you, when you can illustrate, you know, how much your missions, you know, affecting people, you know, and that their money's not just getting thrown at the wall, you know, it's, Hey, this is what it's going towards. You know, this is how many, you know, how many babies we save. This is how many, you know, people were fed, you know, Hey, these are the GPS coordinates for the well that you, you know, gave to in Haiti, you know, or this is the, you know, this is a stained glass window that you helped, you know, pay for in the church. You know, it makes a huge difference when 
uh, when donors can see that because it becomes tangible, right? I mean, it's not just, okay, hey, yeah, I get a tax, tax benefit, uh, you know, and I get to write it off or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's how it can be impacted and how that, how it really makes a huge difference. Are there any stories that come to mind? So I'm curious, obviously, two, $2 billion raised or a little bit more. Some very large gifts have been given in capital campaigns that the Steyer Group has been involved with. Do any particularly large gifts come to mind that um, you were a part of in some way or even just a, you know, a campaign you were working with? Uh, uh, a gift ideally of a million dollars or more. I'm just curious for, for people who are listening, like how does that come about? What does that conversation look like? How do you, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming with the Snyder Group, y'all aren't just sending a text message from the pastor to uh, someone to ask yeah. them for a million dollars. Yeah, I know. So, um, so typically, you know, what we do with the Snyder Group is um, a lot of times um, what we do is we recruit, we recruit volunteers uh, among the parish because we want the parish to, you know, to take ownership. We want parishioners to take ownership of the campaign. So what we do at the Star group is we actually recruit uh, volunteers. We train volunteers how to go out and make the ask to, uh, to individual families face to face, because there's, you know, studies show that, you know, face to face visits versus non face to face visits, you know, the rate of return goes up, but I think it's like 80%. Uh, you know, versus email or, or online, which it's actually starting to change now. More folks are transitioning online, but still there's something about the face-to-face visits. It's, it's asking folks and spending the time with them. And uh, so what we do is we not only train the volunteers, but we train the pastor because, you know, a lot of times, you know, priests, you know, their vocation is to the priesthood, right? I mean, there's, sacramentally yeah so uh we train we train the priests we we work with the priests on okay hey you know this is how you would sit down with folks obviously you know every meeting is not cookie cutter you know uh and i train volunteers the same way you know this could be the only time that anybody from the parish has ever reached out to this parishioner and so you have to kind of put a uh, somewhat of a pastoral hat on and, and just listen to folks, let them talk about it. And, you know, I've had, I've had some campaigns where it was a young couple who were the volunteer uh, going to meet with an older couple and the older couple already knew, you know, what they wanted to do. But uh, so the younger couple went to the older couple's house. They went to go meet. It was like two bottles of wine and three hours later, they're the best of friends. They never met before they're the best of friends, you know, so it have, has to, you know, be, you know, uh, do with community building. And each of these ask amounts are different. You know, they could range from, you know, depending on the parish from, you know, anywhere from 7,500 to a million dollars, you know, depending on the a parish, depending on the parishioner, depending on a whole bunch of the factors that we talked about before. And, you know, the biggest thing is to make sure that we have the right person to, to meet with our donors, you know, is that the pastor? Is it a uh, deacon or is it a, the business manager? Um, is it a completely, you know, third party neutral person like myself to, you know, to, to go ahead and do that. And sometimes, 
you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that because a lot of times as the uh, campaign manager, I'll be assigned a campaign. And that's the good thing about the Sierra Group is I don't have multiple campaigns. I only have one and I'm dedicated to that one campaign. So I've built, a, you know, you build a lot of relationships with folks over that course of time. And so, you know, um, I've had situations where, you know, you do any, anything from 50000 up to $300,000 in ask amounts. Sometimes you get the full amount. Sometimes you don't, you know, and of course, this is over the course of like a three-year period, right? And so it, it really, it, it varies from person to person and from campaign to campaign because some parishes they're uh they just don't have the capacity to go even over you know let's say a six-figure gift uh they're they don't have parishioners in that capacity you know so um so yeah that's kind of where we you know where we are on things and of course we do um we do have direct mail appeals and also phoning nights as well uh, for folks who may may not be in that major gift category so to speak yeah, tell me about. So you mentioned obviously there was the person that y'all sent a. It was probably a letter asking for fifty bucks a month, or maybe it was a phone call, mm-hmm. and they gave forty eight thousand. But you mentioned when going to see people asking for significant gifts, sometimes you get the full amount, many times it's less. Can you think of an example where you asked for an amount and someone gave more than that? Oh man. Um... There, 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 there are plenty where it's, they definitely shock you, so to speak, you know, and, uh, a lot of them actually come from the pastor, you know, because the pastor, we, we would assign the pastor to some of these now from, from my past work with other organizations, there, there have been folks who were just like, you know, I mean, I wish I asked them for more. Because I, you know, cause they're they're quick to jump on my, you know, my asking out of fifty thousand. So I'm like, man, like, should I have asked for a hundred thousand? And you know, maybe I got it seventy five thousand. So you know, there there are situations where you know, um, yeah, you get in that situation where you're like, oh yes, I got I got it, and then you know, you're kicking yourself later and like, man, like, could I have asked for more? You know. But then you don't want to be like Oliver, right? And you're like, yes, sir, please, can I have some more? Yeah. You know. Um, so, um, but but you know, you you do uh, you do try to we do try to ask that amount uh, ahead of time, and so we we will send letters to to folks, so they're not shocked. They know what the visit's about. They you know they already have the ask amount, so it's not you know uh, coming out of the blue. Hey, you're getting asked. Five hundred thousand uh, dollars, and you know it—it's—it's it's not that case at all. Um, and so, a lot of times, too, what we're doing is we're verbalizing, right? As major gift uh, fundraisers, we're verbalizing what's already been asked of folks. And some donors make you work for it. Some donors make you—you know—you'll call and call and call to try to set up that appointment. And sometimes it'll work, sometimes it doesn't, you know, uh, and sometimes you'll get ghosted. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes you'll have uh, appointments set, you're all excited for it, and then five minutes before, oh, hey, I can't make it, you know. Right, yep, yes, yes, yes. Now, okay, that's not that bad 
under most circumstances. But the the worst thing is when you travel to another city to see someone and the minute you get off the plane, you get the text message, hey, <laughs> I uh, something came up, going to have to move our our meeting and uh that that one stings a little bit but <laughs> well and yeah and i i mean i can only imagine i mean that's you know that's such a uh a hardship on the organization too i mean you spend that you know that uh that time and effort and it's it's really frustrating to get to that point it's like well yeah i'm getting off the plane now uh can we meet for coffee please you know I, can I, can I justify this, you know, expense to my boss? You know, one of the reasons for everyone listening: never travel to another city without having more than one reason to go there, because stuff like this happens. And, uh, well, yeah, it does, and you know, it's. Uh, I think it's it's important. Um, you know, on the on the flip side of things, is when you have uh, when you have those confirmations and you have that constant communication going with the the donor. And really stressing the need, you know, sometimes you may have to just, you might have to just bite the bullet and go for that one donor if you can't secure any other uh, appointments. It's a gamble, but sometimes you just got to do it because uh, you just never know what could happen. You know, uh, you could meet someone on that plane, you know, and talk to someone next to you who you know they've never heard of heroic media or they've never heard of or or they're a parishioner at the at the parish that you're you're doing a campaign for and they just didn't you know they haven't been back to church in a while you just never know who you're running into and the world is smaller than i think we we all think about sometimes definitely yeah for sure this is uh i don't want to take over your story telling time but speaking of going places this i think you'll appreciate this this story, I I was I traveled to New Orleans to visit with someone. I I get there, and as soon as I get to New Orleans, his assistant calls me and tells me that he has to reschedule. He's going out of town. He's got this big thing, something or another. And I wind up meeting. It was just total happenstance. Since I couldn't meet with him, I went to some other event and I met someone that worked for this guy and, and we hit it off and he was like, Hey, why don't you join me at this, uh, at this event tonight? And sorry, I'm speaking in such generalities because I don't want to give anything, give anything away, but he's like, come join with me, uh, join me at this event tonight. And I was like, great. Sounds awesome. We go there and I, the, the gentleman I was going to New Orleans to, to visit with, I'll call him Bob, his assistant had canceled on me and, because he was out of town. I walk into this event and there sits Bob. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> and so I go up and, and shake his hand and he's like, Have oh. you met him before? Yes. Yes. Okay. So he knew who I was and he was, he, he goes, my assistant called you. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I, he's like, I'm sorry. I really hope this wasn't the only reason you were coming into town. And, uh, it was just kind of an awkward <laughs> experience because <laughs> he was caught in his fib and, uh, he, he really did have something important 
to do, but it was not. Uh, so it was not out of town. <laughs> no, it was not out of town. Clearly, so I've always uh, remembered that experience and thought it was pretty funny. So he did wind up giving to uh, later on. On an, we got it rescheduled, so it all worked out. But. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, you know, you always, hindsight's twenty twenty sometimes. And, you know, we had, yeah. I, I had one uh, major donor that I was working with and I hadn't met the guy before. And you know, I just spoke with him on the phone a couple of times. And so he invited me out for lunch and we had lunch at the like Dallas Petroleum Club. And, like, oh, yes. Was, yeah. And wonderful place. It was, yeah, it was great. And, you know, I, I went and I took him, you know, kind of a gift from uh, the organization I was working with at the time. And, like, I think he was surprised by the fact that I didn't ask him for money. You know, I went to genuinely talk to him, you know, because this is a, a longtime benefactor. And, and sometimes we have to kind of do that. We have to just say like, we're, we're not here to, you know, okay, I'm going to this meeting. I'm not going to ask for money. I'm going to legitimately ask this person, why do they love the mission of, of the organization? And so I think it took him aback, uh, the fact that I didn't ask him for any money and maybe I should have, uh, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, later on he ended up just sending something in because, you know, I was able to just convey, hey, this is our vision. This is our mission. This is what we're planning on doing. This is, these are the proposed projects. This is where our annual giving funds going for the next year. And from there, it was kind of just like a set it and forget it kind of thing. But it was one of those, again, building relationship um, opportunities. And, and I think that that's important that we're not always asking you know, for, for money from our major donors and, and tapping the well until it goes dry, so to speak, but really genuinely uh, asking donors, what do they, what do they want? What do they like? What do they um, desire out of the, out of the mission? How do they uh, envision it? Yeah, for sure. It's one of the reasons that I, there's several reasons why, but I almost never ask one of our benefactors, more than once per year for a gift. Um, there's some people that their philosophy is like, well, you ask them at the end of the year, you ask them for this event, you ask them when, uh, I don't know, you've some made up reason. And my, my philosophy has always been, if I have to ask them more than once during a year and they're giving every time that I'm just not asking them for enough in the first place, uh, and, and part, but part of the reason is also exactly to what you said. I don't want every time I speak with this person or go to see him be an opportunity to ask him for money. I want it to be as, I want to have as many visits and experiences with this person as possible in between times that I ask them for money, because we don't want it to just be, well, every time I go see Kevin, he's going to ask me for money because that's the only thing uh, <laughs> he has to yeah. offer in this relationship. Yeah. I think it's part of it too, is, is also having, you know, donor, um, donor appreciation uh, opportunities, you know, whether it's having a, uh, you know, kind of an open house for, you know, whatever organization or having a groundbreaking ceremony or, you know, a blessing of a, of a new church or new, 
you know, tabernacle or altar, you know, is to have those opportunities where, you know, people can take a tour of what they participated in and see the fruits of, of the labor, you know, and labor being, you know, obviously part of stewardship is, is not just time and talent, but it's the treasure as well. Because a lot of folks, you know, they, they may not have the time or talent to give in, in, you know, give to something, but they have the treasure that they're able to, um, to give. And so to be able to, sh- to show how the, the organization has been a good steward of those funds. Um, and it's there, there's something, you know, uh, fulfilling in that, obviously, you know, it's to see that the fruit. Can you think of a, a story of a time when someone gave a gift to any of the organizations you've worked with, or maybe it's through the Steyer group. And after they gave the gift, they saw some impact possibly through, you know, a time you went to see them and that was particularly meaningful to them. Yeah. Well, and, and to answer your question is, so a, a lot of times, you know, um, when you're working with, when we're working with churches, you know, not, for example, not everyone's going to be on board with the design of a whole new church or the refurbishment of a sanctuary. And so they may not initially give to that, but when the church, you know, goes ahead and has the groundbreaking ceremony or opens the door, door to a new church or, you know, the, uh, the new altar is, is, uh, is blessed. Well, a lot of people who didn't give before, they see that, you know, tangible evidence of what happened. And so because, you know, a campaign is over the course of, you know, three years, five years, depending on, on what the campaign is, you know, folks may not give initially, but when they see the fruit of the, the labor, they, so, you know, they, at that point, they'll make a gift, they make a gift to the campaign because, okay, hey, like, this actually happened, like, the church isn't just talking about this, they actually did it, you know, so, uh, and it looks great. It, you know, did I initially uh, push back on it? Yes, but I can see it and I love it. And so I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give to it now. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, and you know, this, I mean, you get to know rejection pretty well as a fundraiser, you know, my and, oldest friend, <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah, exactly. And, and, the biggest thing for, for us is because as a, as a campaign manager, you know, uh, I really have to um, keep motivating volunteers, motivate even the pastor when they get, you know, when they do get those declines, you know, to give is, you know, hey, look, it's going to happen. But it may just be a no for now, you know. So don't worry about it. Let's move on. There's a lot of success here. You know, and to really, you know, encourage them to keep going. And I have to encourage myself too, you know, because it can be very discouraging when you get no, 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 click, no, 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 click, you know, or, you know, uh, or some random reason why, you know, and people make excuses for why they're not going to give, you know, it's, I'd rather somebody just tell me like, no, you know, (laughs) you don't need to make an excuse about like, um, yeah, just call me later and you don't answer your phone or something like that. 
Yeah. So, um, but you get to you get to know that, and the biggest thing is to move on from it and to focus on the positive and to uh, you know celebrate the victories along the way because you know it's gonna it's gonna happen, but you know we're doing the Lord's work, right? I mean, without fundraising, you can't move forward. You know, with with the with the work. Um, so. Yeah, I'll, I'll give everybody a, a tip out there. What Joseph's talking about, the rejection thing, it's huge in fundraising. It's huge in sales. Um, one of the worst things that can happen to us is we get into a funk. And uh, that's that's when, you know, you, it, it could just be one, it could be one rejection. It could be one person that in some way just really made you feel so small and pathetic and you go, you start just feeling bad about yourself. You start thinking in negative thoughts about them. Then you start thinking negative thoughts about everybody else that you've got to call on your list. And then you're like, well, I'm just going to go for a walk. And then you go for a walk. And then you decide to watch some YouTube videos. And then the day's over. And then it's the next day. And you're still on the phone. And this is this is real. I am, I am telling you this from... Uh, personal experience and also just seeing it happen with a lot of people. Uh, the best thing you can do when you get rejected, when somebody, when you dial the phone number and you're calling to schedule a visit, you know, Hey, Kevin Fitzpatrick with heroic media, the click, or they tell you don't ever call me again, or they yell at you. The best thing you can do, hang up the phone and dial the next number immediately without a single, because the, that is the, that is really the only way to move forward is to just move forward. <laughs> You've got to just let it as the, the faster you can make that next call, the sooner you're just going to get on to the next, like, Hey, this is why I do what I do. It's for conversations like this. It's not for the one out of, you know, 50 phone calls that have a really negative kind of impact. So I think that that's an important thing to just move on. <laughs> Well, you know, and, and part of it too, Kevin, is like, is it's listening, right? It's because there are some folks out there who, you know, um, because we, you know, when we're calling folks, we could be the first people from the parish who calls, you know, parishioners and legitimately, you know, this person just passed away or this person's sick and, you know, they, they can't give. It. So the biggest thing we can do for them is, yeah, we understand, you know, not ask at all. Yeah, you know, is is to respect that and, and to not ask and to also, you know, kind of re- read the situation and everything, you know, you have to kind of listen very attentively, you know, attentively because you also don't want to offend people by not asking, you know, and so, you, you know, you could, you could even like say something to the effect of, you know, you know I was calling today regarding the campaign um, that we've got going on. And so they may say, okay, yeah, we can give, or they may say, you know, I'd honestly like, now is not a good time. And at that point, the biggest follow-up question we can ask folks, can we pray for you? Can we ask, can we ask the pastor to pray for you? Can we, you know, do you have any prayer intentions? That's the biggest thing we can do, you know, because again, you know, what are we doing this for? You know, we're doing it for the mission of the organization. Well, what, what is the mission of the organization? You know? And so we, we really have to look at the whole kind of picture, you know, so to speak. 
and, and to genuinely, genuinely pray for one. You know, you get off the phone with folks, say a prayer, you know, and, and, and really offer the, offer them up, you know, uh, in, in prayer. Any other, uh, stories come to mind that you'd, you'd like to share? Gosh. I mean, at this, at this point, not really. Uh, I mean, there's just so many stories that I, I mean, I think that we, we all have at some point that, you know, that really kind of touch us. You know, I, uh, one of the campaigns I ran, uh, individual wanted to cash out their life insurance policy to, to give to the campaign. And so, you know, as much as I wanted to add more red to the thermometer, you know, so to speak, you know, I, I, I was talking to this individual and I said, okay, look, you've got a whole term, you have, you've got a whole life policy. You're almost done paying it off. What is the value of it at end of life? And this individual told me, and it was much more than what the cash in value was going to be. And so I told him, I said, look, as much as I'd love for this to count towards the campaign, the best interest of the organization is for you to name the organization as the beneficiary of that, uh, of that policy, because it's going to have more of a long-term benefit. And sure enough, they did. And, you know, it's, it's also, you know, it's knowing what, how to work with, with individuals, how to work with their, um, their different, uh, approaches, you know, whether it's okay, Hey, we want to do a stock transfer. How do we do it? Or we want to do a a real estate transfer or insurance. It's working with individuals on how they can make it actually logistically happen and know how how to do that. So, I mean, one of the things it makes me think of is just the benefit of hiring an organization like like you guys because some of these things, just understanding the best ways to give stock or any kind of asset. there are things that you guys and your experience and your team have knowledge and access to different resources that, that your typical parish doesn't think about on a daily basis. And I, so, so I think that's, that's, I don't think it can be uh, the importance of hiring someone like you guys can, I don't think it can be overstated because if you're trying to raise $5 million or $10 $10 million or whatever the capital campaign is. And you've never done that before. Uh, you're probably not going to just wake up with the knowledge of how to do that. And so, well, and this is where it's important to run those, you know, planning studies or, you know, feasibility studies first is so that we can, you know, we not only look at what the, uh, the pulses of the parish, you know, do they want these projects? Do they not want these projects? We also look at the capacity of the, the parish. We look at, you know, how many registered uh, parishioners there are. Uh, what do people self-disclose in the planning study uh, as far as what they potentially could give? We look at uh, other like parishes uh, throughout the country that we've run and what what we've done because, you know, <clears throat> it's well and good that you know a parish might say, you know, look at things and and say, hey, yeah, we want to raise ten million dollars. But then we do a planning study and it turns out that we, you know, we come back to them and say, Hey, look, based on our results, excuse me, we only feel like you can raise two to 4 million. Well, 
10 million is going to be out of the question for for this organization and to set your goal at that at that amount it's going to set you up for failure you know and so it's not uh we want to set realistic goals because you know for the for the organization and it might be something very humbling for the for the organization that they can't raise that much and the biggest thing and you probably get this a lot too is oh well we'll just apply for grants look the bill gates foundation is not going to get you know give right across the board and we want to set our organizations up for for success and not every campaign is the same so we tailor each campaign to the organization to the organization's needs how is it you know um some of the uh, parishes we work with may not even have online giving so Part of it is maybe setting them up with an online platform so they can give. Uh, it might be setting up a uh, marketing campaign or communications plan. Might be uh, creating videos for them uh, for the organization. Getting them set up with social media. You know, so many outlets that are so uh, that are are free for the, for folks. You know, whether it's email marketing or social media. And to really get not only the campaign information out there, but the organization's information out there. And then campaign information will follow, you know, will be a secondary kind of, you know, byproduct, so to speak. But the biggest thing is to, uh, is to communicate about the mission and the organization itself. To that point, what, what Joseph said about applying for grants, I think the number something like – Everybody talks about grants. You got to go talk to corporations and businesses. That's everybody's idea all the time. But I think the number is it's like at least 80% of all charitable giving in the U.S. happens through individuals. And so, yeah, exactly to your point, especially if you're if you're a church, if you're something working in pro-life, if you're something working in anything potentially not on board with the modern, uh, politically correct everything, you're not getting huge money from the, the, these grant, these uh, foundations that everyone is always talking about. And so that's the importance of scheduling visits, developing relationships, and exactly what you were saying, just sharing the mission with the people who uh, have the affinity and the capacity to make a tremendous difference for your organization. Yeah, and I, you know, nothing beats the face-to-face visits. You know, and now in a post-COVID world, um, we we will have to bring our flex card, right? We're going to have to do uh, Zoom meetings or FaceTime or, you know, Microsoft Teams, whatever whatever it is, or just even over the phone or, uh, you know, <laughs> everybody bring their mask and we're going to, you know, be six feet apart, you know, whatever it is. Um, but the, you know, the importance is, is to just, you know, again, nothing beats the face to face visit, but in a post COVID world, you know, we will have to improvise, we will have to adapt and we will have to overcome. And, uh, at the heart of it, it's going to be communications. Yeah, that's it. I mean, nothing beats the face to face visit, but, uh, the thing that loses every time is not asking in any way. So (laughs) that's, uh, it, it just, get creative 
every business right now that's succeeding, every nonprofit that's succeeding, they're the ones that are, they're looking at what's happening and they're saying, how can we provide value right now? How can we adjust things to make sales? How can we adjust things to bring in revenue? And so, yeah, you might, you might start asking more people for gifts over the phone. You might start asking people for more gifts through video calls and people understand that they don't, um, no one's going to go, oh, well, I was going to give you $100,000, but you didn't come see me in person when uh, in the middle of... There comes a point where, I mean, <laughs> some of the people I know are already comfortable with going to see people in person. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But also for many people, they will totally understand why you're scheduling a video call and asking them for a gift. Because like Joseph said, they know why you're getting in touch with them. And so if they say yes to the visit of any kind, then in some way they are giving you some permission to discuss philanthropy. For sure. So <laughs> the biggest yeah, thing that's... is no, no fear, right? Uh, along the way. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, I love it. I thanks so much, Joseph, for uh, yeah. sharing your experience. I love the, going from criminology to uh, philanthropy consulting on uh, capital campaigns. It's, it's a natural path that, that many will take. And uh, you'll probably have a book that will be sold to hundreds of thousands of people who want to take the exact same path. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you inviting me on Kevin. It's, it's been good, you know, knowing you, I mean, over the past, I think five years since we we started uh, meeting with Mike Murray's uh, yep. uh, group of, of young and young Catholic adults and development work and uh, at the original Pancake House, <laughs> you know, uh, I miss those those breakfasts. Uh, and I mean, you know how to order a pancake with bacon, built. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. My my bacon pancakes with a side of bacon. Always uh, keeping it healthy. <laughs> Every time you ordered that, I was always kind of like, what is going on here? <laughs> oh, but no, I appreciate you, uh, you bringing me on, Kevin. I, uh, you do, uh, you're doing great work. I really do appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks so much, Joseph. Great to have you. I think people are really going to enjoy this conversation and look forward to talking to you soon. You as well. Take care. That was Joseph Hamity with the Steyer Group. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook and connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. I hope Joseph's stories have inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're only one visit away from a transformational experience for your organization and your benefactors.